0: want to save the filthy little beast, eh? Perhaps you want me to give the animals my car. Do you want me to give my car to the smelly goat? Goats don't drive, sir. I don't care what you want me to do. The smelly goat will never get my car, ever. But the animals have nowhere to go. Some creeps closing down the shelter. I'm closing down the shelter, silly boy. What?
1: I knew I was the right bulldozer.
0: I'm thinking big and yellow. Where did you think I was going to build Nebworth Stadium in your house? Haha, Your house! That's rich!
2: There wouldn't be room! Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spinposh Presents Pictures Power. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinsky.
1: And I'm the other one, Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you?
2: I'm doing very well, although I will say that I am currently charging through this episode on three and a half hours worth of sleep so
1: about oh yeah
2: the same maybe. my energy is high my energy is high I just, when i click
1: record i wake up
2: that's when you wake up yeah i just could not get to sleep because you know i was just so excited that and my wife was snoring and it was pouring rain uh so i just couldn't sleep i'm just so excited to talk about movies with you again
1: yeah, I couldn't sleep because I had to do the tragic thing of silencing my wind chimes.
2: Ah, yes, yes. Bartek's last episode unfortunately forgot to remove his wind chimes. So, if you enjoyed Unbreakable t- Discussion with Wind Chimes in the background, check out our last episode. So, Bartek, we're here doing Pictures Power, our show, a weekly show in which we talk about movies that have come highly recommended. Uh, last episode, it was a recommendation from me. The one before that was from you. So that must mean this week we're doing a listening people's recommendation. Am I right?
1: Yes, the facts uh, lead to that
2: conclusion. Thanks, Sherlock. And we are doing a listening people suggestion for a Disney movie called Max Keeble's Big Move from two thousand and one. Bartek,
1: was I'll... it not two thousand?
2: I thought it was two thousand and one. I think it's 2000. No, 2000- yeah. I know that the film takes place in 2001. The IMDb trivia really let me know that. We'll talk about that in a sec. <laughs> but, um, Bartek, who were the people that suggested that we do this? And are they possibly here as guests?
1: They might very well be. They are Chats a Television Podcast.
2: Hello hello there, Chats. Uh, We are joined by Alan and Magellan from the Chats, a television podcast. I think you should call it a televisual podcast, guys.
3: (laughs) There's definitely a visual and audio element to it. Um, The visual element is that you watch the show, and the audio element is that you listen to the show. Um. (laughs) (laughs) LAUGHTER I keep I keep accidentally I do this thing. Hi everyone, it's chat. We're the chats kids. I keep doing this thing where um I like make really good marketing copy for our show completely on accident, mm. and it just it keeps working out like that. There was one on like a a chats that, episode. That would
0: be I'm sorry, but that would be like if coca colas slogan was Hey, we got a drink for you that's sweet and brown, and it's got <laughs> cocaine in it. Yeah, that's it. like. That's just what you expected. Yeah. It to no, be. because
3: you watch the TV show and you listen to the podcast show. That was the oh, mm-hmm. okay. was the levels. Okay. Uh,
2: uh, okay. No, I, I listen to your show just watching the, the 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 time tick away, just just watching the little. Yeah, little just look at a clock.
0: Look, no. 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 Just <laughs> <he's> stare at <just, laughs> an analog <unlock> clock. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now so, that's a
1: visual. So,
2: <laughs> uh, which one's which? Just to make clarification, who's Alan? Who's Magellan?
0: Uh, I'm don't Magellan. Uh, I'm, okay. Yep. No, you're not. I'm Magellan. He's Alan. I did on a recent episode introduce myself as Alan, not as a joke, but (laughs) I literally thought that's who I was. (laughs) So, uh, we've sort of blended over the years.
2: I was saying to Bartek before we recorded, he was like, so it's Alan and Magellan, right? And I'm like, Magellan, (laughs) not Magellan. Magella Gorilla. That's what I call him sometimes.
0: I've gotten, I've gotten every flavor of, uh, Name pronunciation, so oh. I
1: know I've, I've got easy sure. common name privilege,
0: yeah. Bartek <laughs> Bartek,
2: thank you.
1: Bart- <laughs> Bart- <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: The, we have a three star I- iTunes review from America, and one of its complaints was that and there's that host Bartek whose whose name sounds like how it's written down like that was what they wrote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, that's the best ah, kind of review that was. Was that a critique, or that was the one thing they liked? No, that was the it. critique. <laughs> Wasn't that a reference to something you said? (laughs) It was
2: a reference to what you said about your own name in the episode. You're like, I'm Bartek. It's, it's, it sounds like how it's written down. So, uh, chats, what do you do on your television podcast? Obviously you talk about TV shows, but do you, what's your kind of format and what kind of shows do you talk about any on the go currently that you're talking about?
0: Yeah. So we, um, there are a lot of TV rewatch podcasts out there and, um, the vast majority of those center the TV show and sort of seek to be like, we are the definitive, um, I don't know, Twin Peaks, whatever show you want to watch. We're we're the definitive Twin Peaks rewatch podcast. Um, and our, our approach is, um, that's not really what we're interested in doing. We're just two guys who have been friends for a really long time and we like watching shows together. So we pick a show We watch the whole thing, two episodes at a time. A lot of the time, they're shows that we haven't seen before. um, But we go through the journey of watching the whole thing together. And um, folks who've seen it before or folks who want to watch something for the first time, they generally have fun coming along for the ride with us. So we just finished covering, uh, spending almost two years, a year and a half or so, um, covering Babylon 5 and the assorted... uh, Media and Ephemera. Uh, And then now we're currently watching The Prisoner. So
2: just for
3: those
0: who may be interested,
2: what is The the Prisoner and why are you covering that
1: currently? That would be telling.
3: Um, I can take this one. Yeah, yeah. So The Prisoner, it's a 1960s mystery uh, drama, uh, comedy drama, actually, um, and it's about a, an agent who finds himself, w- he wakes up on a mysterious village in somewhere in Europe, and he has to figure out why he's there, what's going on with these weird people on the village, and how to get off. It's a, it's a tale as old as time, and uh, it appeals to us because, uh, well, first of all, it has a really good like cult fan base, um, and it's not discussed as much in, in pop culture today because it's older and I think a lot of pop culture tends to like focus and have a lot of recency bias. Mm. Um, So we, so we, I like that aspect of it, the fact that it's, it's influential and it's uh, you can see like all the seeds of what went on to influence other shows like lost and like uh, a lot of other like big mystery shows. Like Babylon Um,
2: five.
3: Honestly. Yeah. I mean, there are straight up quotes in the prisoner that I, I I legitimately believe JMS, the creator of Babylon five was basing some ideas on uh yeah yeah and it's just it's just it's a really entertaining watch and there's a lot more to it than than meets the eye it's really stylish and gorgeous and yeah it's it's kind of like got the recipe for all the stuff that we enjoy out of our chat shows
2: yeah for those who who may not be familiar with prisoner the prisoner it has been referenced in pop culture i always think of the Simpsons. Uh, yep. For for you, Bartek, Mm -hmm. there's there's that Simpsons episode... Rover the... Yeah. Yeah, and he gets taken to the island, and there's, like, a koala with, like, a masquerade mask that gasses them, and, like, lots of stuff. that was actually the last time... Patrick McGowan's in it. Patrick McGowan, (laughs) that's the last time he played (laughs) that... Six, the, the character from... Mm -hmm. the prisoner so it's kind of weird um yeah yeah it's one of those shows that is worth checking out and then obviously you guys accompanying it as a a podcast for maybe people haven't watched it before maybe listening to you guys after checking out some episodes and getting like ah okay this is kind of like you know a companion Mm -hmm. to that if people haven't seen people who have seen it well they always get a kick out of people like yourselves who haven't seen it before guessing and theorizing and making, you know, assumptions and all that, like I did yeah. with Babylon 5. Well, the fun facts yeah. about Prisoner and Babylon mm-hmm. 5, just me to Babylon 5 out there, there's a character in the TV show Babylon 5, Mr. Bester, and one of his big things is he he, he gives a certain type of wave, a tip of the hat kind of wave that is directly lifted from the Prisoner. So, yeah. that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing. So, you guys talk about shows. What other kind of shows have you talked about in the past to give people an idea of your catalogue? Oh boy! Well, this is uh, season seven, um, so we've been doing
3: it for almost five years now, and so we've covered stuff like Farscape, uh, Freaks and Geeks, The Newsroom, uh, Babylon 5, as aforementioned, uh, Pushing Daisies, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Uh, yeah, we're, we're we're all we we cover all sorts of things, um, but those are the those are the big ones.
2: So you guys do have quite a lot of shows in you in your back catalog, some newer shows, some older shows. You have an animated show in there, like Avatar: The Last Airbender, like you said, which is kind of. One well, of those shows that it's like well that one was one that everyone loved. That's like pr- would, would that would, would that be like the most mainstream popular show that you guys covered? Would you say? Um, I think so. That one was also a case of like
3: you know not every chat show uh, has to be obscure. It's more like does it mm-hmm. does it have a is there a conversational angle that we think is interesting and exciting? Mm. Um, and like that show, my relationship to it as having watched it and been influenced by it as a kid in Magellan getting older, having never watched it. Uh, I think that was like the hook that got me to to, to push yeah it for was, that
0: when one. we decided to watch avatar um part of it was so i'm a I'm a high school teacher and I had actually had like students of mine who suggested it to me and were giving me the whole what? you've never seen Avatar the last Airbender what the heck um, yeah. so it it uh that's one of the rare ones that I think has sort of transcended Mm. generations that we've watched. Because I've never had a high schooler be like, have you seen Farscape? Yeah, if a child spoke (laughs) to me like that, I would
2: never check out the show.
0: (laughs) For sure, for sure. Yeah, Dude, you haven't seen it. Teenagers are, (laughs) they're working on it. They're
2: working on it. So let's get into the legendary Max Keeble's big move. So for our listening people, if you have not had the chance to watch this film, we are going to be talking about this in depth, spoilers and all. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. It's uh, a little bit hard to find, depending where you are. Here in Australia, it was on Disney Plus. Apparently, it's not in America, which I find mind-blowingly bizarre. But uh, <laughs> yeah,
3: it's it's on HBO here for folks. You know, uh, yeah,
2: and so the only thing Australians use HBO for was when Game of Thrones was a thing. So, right? <laughs> because let's not <laughs> and nothing forget else. Australia was the country that pirated the most. And it was for Game of Thrones because we didn't yeah. get it easily down here. So we'll but so we we'll be talking about Max Keeble's big move in-depth spoilers and all. Uh, we'll go through our history, what we think of the movie, and just that kind of general stuff. So, Bartek, what is yes. your history with this movie, if you have one at all? Because I know that you have far more of a relationship with these kind of... Uh, what I guess what I would call like cable, like TV stars and stuff. This has a lot of that stable of your Disney people, your Nickelodeon people. And I know you have Mm. far more of a relationship
1: with those people and those kind of shows and movies more than I do. So do you, have you seen this before? No, I don't think I'd even heard of it. There were definitely some people I recognize, but no, I, I hadn't seen it before. And you hadn't heard of it? I'm not sure if I had or not. Like, when you told me the title in the last episode, Max Keeble's Big Move... I wasn't sure if this was a standalone film or if it was like an entry in like the Max Keeble franchise or something like that so I, I didn't know what I was getting into with that. So
2: I my history is I have never seen this movie but I have heard of it because when we did our former show on this, on this podcast, Unappreciated Masterpieces, I would look around for all these Unappreciated Masterpieces and Max Keeble always kept popping up but I just never chose it or put it on the list for a few reasons but the main one being I looked things through imdb and sometimes imdb can be a little bit deceptive on letting you know what's a tv movie and a theatrically released movie and i just didn't do the legwork, mm. so yeah. a lot of disney tv movies aren't always listed as like you know tv movies because some of them do get a theatrical release like when you look at some of the high school musicals they aren't called touted as tv movies but was it two of them were and then they got released later in cinemas because of the popularity. But mm-hmm. So I always was like looking at Max Keeble and I said, oh, that's a TV thing. Because we didn't do TV movies for unappreciated masterpieces. We wanted to stick to mainstream cinema. Because, you know, if we're going to do a show about unappreciated masterpieces and you open it up to TV or direct-to-video stuff, then, you know, it was so murky of that. We were wanting to focus more on just mainstream yeah. movies or or, or theatrically released movies that had been overlooked and I wasn't too sure about Max Keeble. So I just never did the legwork to check on it. So now we do this show in which we just take any recommendation for, for for film. We did it and I was like, oh, okay. And I looked it up afterwards. It was a theatrically released movie, but I've got to say on first watch, I genuinely thought, I was genuinely like watching it going, oh, so this was a TV movie because this feels like a yeah. pilot. Mm-hmm. And this feels like a pilot to some show that they were going to make.
0: Yeah, I I was saying the same thing in my notes here that I really would like to watch the Max Keeble show because there's such a large cast of characters and it does a lot of TV uh, things, like the sort of freeze frames on the characters and, oh, that's my mom. Mm. And now she's a sticker that's peeling off the screen. (laughs) It's like, you know, this is a cool, fun little little show. Mm. Um, It kind of has that Malcolm-in-the-middle vibe of this kid is impossibly precocious and also an impossibly good actor for how old he is. I will slightly disagree
2: with you on the the Malcolm-in-the-middle comparison, but, like, (laughs) just because one of the... I'll get into it a bit later, but I think from the get-go, Malcolm is at least an obviously self-centered and flawed character, while in this, Max is, like... He's awesome, and Malcolm is not awesome. Like you're not looking at Malcolm in the middle, going, "Malcolm's oh, yeah, yeah, awesome." Yeah. You're supposed to be like, "Oh, he's pathetic." <laughs> and that's why
3: I think it More means in the I, sense
2: that he's precocious, like more in the
3: sense that he's way too smart for his age.
0: Yeah, I just mean what you're saying with the vibe of like hmm. it being paced like a pilot. Like it does feel like we're being introduced to uh, the world of Max Keeble. Yes, at least in the first. 25 30 minutes of the movie uh,
2: some could argue mm. more but so what were your histories with this mm. because you guys suggested this i said hey pick a movie that you guys genuinely like you know because i picked a movie last time you guys won that i really love and i wanted to get you guys to pick a movie that you guys liked and this was what you said you were like immediately it was like this is it we both agree that this is the a film we want to talk about and we like it so you obviously have a history with it but what is it
0: um, I can go first because I I'm suspecting that I have less of a history than Alan mm-hmm. does, and I'm sort of along I'm along for the ride here. Um, I just uh, it's in the sort of sweet spot for chats for movies that we like to revisit of the kind of like late '90s, early 2000s nostalgia zone. Um, that that's where most of the shows that we watch come from or live in. Mm. And that's where a lot of the movies that we do for our own bonus movie episodes uh, come Mm. from. So it hits that spot. And then for me, I associate really strongly this movie with, um, with renting it from Blockbuster with my, with my dad. Um, It's like one of the few movies that I could tell you definitively I, I watched uh, from Blockbuster and so it kind of accesses that. Like I'm on summer break with my dad, and we've got a couple VHSs that we're burning through. Uh, and this this was a nice evening uh, watching Max Keeble's Big Move. <laughs> yeah, uh,
3: I yeah, I'm the one with the familiarity with this film because I watched it multiple times as a kid. It was on the Disney Channel a lot. Um, I think Disney in general had this sort of staple of actors like we've been talking about that would come up in a lot of things at the time and sort of in mm. jokes and references and st- and like stylistic decisions and uh even just like the same stereotypes and and character archetypes in a lot of things like the per coach's boy and the like girl who-, who harbors a crush on him and the like weird guy so like the first like 30 minutes of this movie i was just like yeah i know everything that's happening but what always kind of attracted me to this film and like kept me invested in it is the fact that despite being a like otherwise fairly rote kids film, it has the unique aspect of having like, kind of two plot twists. Uh, Obviously, if mm. you like read or know about the movie or like read the summary of it, you'll understand that it's not the first twist that matters, but the second one. But uh, I don't know, I just I think that's really fun and gives the film a sort of like really cool locomotive momentum by the second half of it that just keeps everything flying forward. Mm. Um, and I found it very entertaining as a result, even even now, in watching it as an adult. So
2: you enjoyed it, watching it again for this still. What about you, Majan? When you, you were here watching it as an adult, you, you enjoyed it still? You had an, uh, not just familiarity, but just genuine enjoyment?
0: Um, yes. it was, <laughs> I was delighted throughout. And I... I was texting Alan before this and I was like, yeah, you know, I have fun, but like, what's the take on this movie? And Mm. then, uh, we sort of went like, uh, you know, college literature class, like let's dissect this film from a number of different Mm. angles. And that was a, a delightful exercise as well. Like I think it, it, uh, I just have a lot of fun with sort of elevating like dorky movies that shouldn't be elevated uh, to... Like, oh, let's treat this as, you know, one of the great works of cinema. And I think Max Keeble actually gives you a lot to work with in that respect. We did
2: the same thing. And it's we we did the like... same thing with our show Unappreciated Masterpiece. Some would say, yeah, hey, that's the premise. Big Fat Liar shouldn't get this much acclaim. And we said, hey, no, no, there's a lot of work done here for what is considered to be light entertainment or something like the Agent Cody Banks movies or the Tuxedo or Kangaroo Jack and so on and so forth. We we also revel in just that kind of thing. So this kind of movie that was suggested, I was like, oh, we're back in the back in the old days of the pond. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. home. <laughs> um, Bartek, funny, yeah. what about you? This is a first time viewing. What did you think of this movie? Did you enjoy it? And uh, I guess a further question for you: Would this have been an unappreciated masterpiece? Would this have qualified? Would this have gone across the line for you?
1: I think this definitely would qualify for our old show, unappreciated masterpieces. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, definitely since it was the first time viewing, I was getting into it, uh, I was into the premise immediately because it was kind of like the early 2000s films we like, which... I guess for our podcast we dubbed that the Munez era.
2: Yeah, because there was a specific time we said 2000 and what was it 2001 to 2000 and like four or five specifically. Yeah, somewhere there. In which Frankie Munez was like the child star for like guys, and then you know you had Hilary Duff for girls, and there was obviously others, but they were like the two standouts. And then you have the Cody Banks movie that kind of is like the combination. And there was just that kind of era of, like, this certain type of attitude and comedy stylings and just kind of filmmaking that were in these kids' films. And we just call it the Munez era because Frankie was always at the centre of it all for us. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of reminded you, Bartek, of that warm pool that we've been in before, Frankie Munez era?
1: Yeah, yeah. But um, I guess in terms of how I enjoyed the film, I I enjoyed it okay, but I think in the rung of those types of films, I'd put it in a far lower place than some of the ones we've seen. There are a couple of things in it that just... I felt were really messy. Yeah,
2: Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. I was going into this with no expectations. I was just kind of like, I'm going to just watch this movie. I will say a little frustration just because it was difficult to find. But that is not the film's fault. That is just the nature of the beast. And, uh... I found that this film had a lot of fruitful things for me to think about, and and Magellan you were saying like, what's the take on this? Oh, I walked away with a many a takes to to discuss. Okay, so yeah, this was yeah. very fruitful awesome. for me. Uh, I I I felt very. It was very interesting to to me going into this because unfortunately, Alan did tell me beforehand, don't look anything up. There's a twist. So I was like, okay, I'm not looking anything up where's the twist and i'm now told there's now twist. i'm told there's two the twists twist. he said there was two and i just go okay so it it mustn't be the fact it wait, mustn't wait, wait. be the fact that they don't move because that's not a twist that's obvious and then i'm like what's the second <laughs> twist then is it the fact that they don't that they still throw the bullies into the bin i don't know like yeah, and it. and i just went okay, so I will say, unfortunately, it's one of those things of when you say, like, hey, there's a there's a twist element, yeah. and this is surprisingly <laughs> more subversive than your average kid's fair. and then I watched the film, and I'm like, no it isn't, where's this subversive twist thing no. that I was hearing about, no. that changes
0: the... The twists are, they're they're moving, and then that they don't <laughs> move, right? Those are the two twists. Yeah, that's the
2: two twists that I could find. I said to Bartek last night, I said to him on, on Facebook, I said, apparently there was a twist in this movie, and Bartek and I were, like, guessing what the twist was and that was
0: like an Wait, unfortunate okay, Alan, what's what's the twist
3: well okay so if you if you watch this movie with with absolutely no influence and you don't know anything about mm. it other than the title is max Keeple's big move um you have the feeling that there's there's a momentum building in the first half yeah and it's like okay something's gonna happen like you can't just live with these bullies all the time he's in the seventh grade in his his time of like life is so compressed right now that the next two years of his life are gonna feel eternal He's like I need to get out of this situation and he mm. finds out that he has an out finally which is that his parents are there, they're moving to Chicago. And so he resets his whole life and that's the first moment of like it doesn't have to be like this anymore. We can finally like live and like start over and that's like the beautiful dream that he starts building for himself is I'm going to burn bridges. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shun, shun everybody that I've ever known and I'm going to be the person I've always wished I could be without consequence. Yeah. And then life hits him in the face and he realizes that he, his actions have consequence. And we reach this sort of second dramatic twist of this film, which is that you can't escape your your own personality and the influence that you have on people around you. The people who love you, mm-hmm. who hate you, uh, who don't know you, the people who you've influenced, like all of that stuff it comes back and he has to reckon with that. And the, the end of the film is him reckoning with like... I'm not going anywhere. I need to learn to like work in this system and not just leave every time
2: there's a problem. Yeah. I mean, that is there, you know, and I, I found that very interesting and compelling. It's just that thing of like, from, from my point of view, and as someone who, you know, Bartok and I have done a lot of these movies exclusively for our own podcast. I was just like, those aren't twists. Those are the inciting incident in the first act and the character hits their low point into the second and third act. Where's a twist. Uh, I thought you were going to say the I twist. I don't know how any words work, for what it's worth. I don't
3: know how any words work
2: at I thought all, the twist was that's... like, oh, at the end, he's like, hey, don't become the bullies. And then they were like, yeah, we yeah. won't do that. And they just throw him in the bin like a bully would. And I was like, oh, is that the twist? But, um... That's a twist, too. <laughs> so three
0: twists. Wow, great. Triple No, no, no.
2: <laughs> There's a fourth
0: twist. There's a fourth at the end. Yeah, but it's the dad is wearing the cheese no, outfit instead of the lobster no,
2: outfit. No, no, it's when the ice twist. cream man chases <laughs> him and he goes, oh, here we go again. <laughs> that was the, that was right, the last the, twist.
3: The endlessly repeating system. He'll never escape his own fate. It's Groundhog Day.
2: Um, it's it's a time travel movie. So uh, I will say this. Um, I'm going to get kicked off the podcast. <laughs> I, I will say this. Um, I don't want to be like, this movie sucks, but uh, this movie wasn't... I disagree with you, Bartek. I don't think that this would have qualified for unappreciated masterpieces. I think it has a lot of elements and a lot of feeling of it, but just from the movie stand, from my standpoint of the quality and like what's actually in there, I just. I think just for me, I, I think my big one of one of many big hurdles I had was I just looked at it and said, "This doesn't feel like a movie." You guys said like, "Oh, the first thirty minutes." For me, the whole entire mm-hmm. film felt like a bunch of vignettes, a bunch of scenes strung together, and mm-hmm. it became to me a a, a you know a, a jack of all trades, master of none, because it had so yeah. many things in there, and none of them yeah. felt matured or culminated, and with me. I just kept thinking, this reminds me of this movie, this reminds me of that movie. There's literally actors from these movies it's making me think of. And those movies, that are like Snow Day, I don't know if you guys have seen that, or Big Fat Liar. Yeah, oh, I love Snow Day. Those films yeah. did so many things that this film did, but more with, with a clever script and, and, and just better structured And I just kept going, this just feels like a TV pilot. This feels like this is going to be an animated show or live action show in which Larry Miller is going to be the principal that they have to deal with. And maybe he enlists Mm -hmm. the two bullies every now and then. And like, oh, there's the hot girl that he's interested. And it felt like a TV pilot. It never even felt like a movie. It felt like, oh, we got three three episodes of this show and we've made it into a TV movie pilot. And i got to say, one thing that really bugged me was Max Keeble himself as a character. His character conflict, his character flaw, isn't introduced until one hour into the film. I looked at it exactly. <laughs> and then the film ends 18 minutes later. And in <clears throat> the film, in the 18 minutes of time, they spend literally five to six minutes on his character flaw. And then it's done. And I just said to myself... I don't care about Max, and the problem was.
0: Old... How how would you art- How would you articulate that character flaw?
2: I would describe Max Keeble's character flaw like Alan described it. It is a selfish nature, that that devil may care attitude, and it comes around to bite him in the ass. But my problem is the first hour of the movie, until he gets to that uh, that cafe or diner where he hangs out with that girl he likes, and he drinks milkshakes. We the audience... And Little Romeo. And Little Romeo, who I learned about because of this movie. (laughs) I didn't know who he was. I was like, is this Little Bow Wow? But uh, okay, because that's the only little I I know from like Mike. Uh, And I just said, okay, the first hour of the movie, he is presented to us, the audience, as what he's Mm -hmm. doing is right. This is a good thing. And then it takes an hour... For the second to third act of, oh, now he's hit his low point. But for me, in the first hour, there was no telltale signs of this was a bad thing that he was doing. It felt like, oh, this is a good thing. And then he makes the specific choice to hang out with this girl instead of his friends. And then it's a domino effect. But we're an hour into this film. And then we spend five to six minutes on exploring that character thing. And his friends forgive him very quickly.
0: I mean, it, it does sort of mirror his own understanding of whether or not he's an asshole, right? Mm. Like, his flaw is there the whole time. It's not focused on because he has this, like, uh, I don't know where the entitlement comes from. You could say it's, like, white male entitlement. You could say it's cool hair entitlement. You could Beat say a dragon entitlement, any yeah. number of things. <laughs> yeah. Um. But that entitlement is, is I think, the present throughout the film, and it's just that he doesn't become aware of his own flaw until he sees the people that he cares about being hurt, mm. and then he's like, wait a minute. All people are people. Oh, yeah. God. What oh, have I no. done?
2: I'll just it. i will just directed... I going
0: it's, it's middle school...
3: It's not high school. I think that's what's crucial about this film is that there are basic yeah. like human flaws and understandings of the world that this kid just does not have. Like he doesn't realize that you can't just like, you know, sunder entire relationships and hope that that won't bite you in the butt. Like he has no concept of a world outside of his school life and his home life.
2: I understand he's, that. Like I understand he doesn't yeah. understand that, but it is not presented until an hour into the film to the audience who is watching that what he's doing is wrong because he's set up as an underdog. And he's set up as a cool guy at the same time. Like, Max is cool, but also he's an underdog because his dad is, like, this nebbish guy and he's got a bully and, like, all this stuff. And what he's doing is, is purely reactionary and justified. And that was a thing in which it goes, okay, I'll direct this to, to you, Bartek. Did you feel any of this kind of stuff, especially with movies we've covered on the show that kind of do the same thing? Like, for instance, in Big Fat Liar... We know instantly that Frankie Munez lying and doing these things, even if he has a justification for it, is a bad thing.
1: We, yeah, he gets immediate consequences.
2: Those are character flaws, and the movie explores it, and he doesn't realise it until later in the movie. He has an arc, he has a journey, but to us, the audience, it's presented as this is a flaw, this is
1: a thing that has to be overcome. Did you have any of the issues that I'm talking about with this film? No, when, when I was watching the film at first... I was trying to understand the character and we got an idea of the people that he didn't like, that he wanted to do these things to, were people who were unjustifiably, you know, in a sense, bullying him in many different ways, whether they're a traditional bully, uh, a a stock market 13 year old or a principal. (laughs) Um, Or an ice cream man. (laughs) And ice cream man too. Um, But... I, I was trying to look at it from the logic of, oh, okay, this is a kid's film, so maybe we are meant to, you know, see what he's doing as a sort of catharsis thing and, like, be on his side the whole way through. Um, so definitely when it came to the milkshake bar and he he didn't go to visit his friends, despite the fact that most of the film, it was building up how close these characters were and how, you know, they wanted to spend his last day together. Um, it did feel a little bit like, weird to justify why he didn't go to Robe's house where the party was.
2: It was one of those scenes. It's like in, uh... I always think of this. It's that second act hitting the low point thing. And I always think of Shrek. There's that bit in Shrek in which he mishears Fiona talking and then they get all pissy and separate. And then they have to get back together because that's what we need. And... I feel like with Max, it's just kind of like, oh, we have to hit the dramatic point, but it's like weird because it takes an hour to get to that big, juicy dramatic point. Yeah, and
3: it, you you yeah, have to earn. Oh,
0: sorry.
3: You have to earn the dramatic weight of the scene where Robe and uh, what's her name? That's a good point, isn't it? Megan. Megan. Oh, Megan. Megan. Yeah, but yeah, that is a good point. Um, where Robe and Megan are sitting outside, and she's like, "I literally baked you a cake. I'm a middle schooler who baked my best friend a cake." Why do you not care that I like you? Like and it's not even it's not even the romantic thing. It's like there are people who are concerned for your well-being and want to see you happy. Mm. Like they are the ones who tell him like you should be fine moving. Maybe you'll find people over there who are just copies of us mm. and they like appeal to his sense of like being a huge nerd yeah. and they're like, "Ooh, clones because they know him." But instead he shuns that and he he looks for what's new and shiny and sexy um, and and sexy, which is uh, so weird that this movie sexualizes Jenna. But the way this movie uses uh, most of its female characters in general is very strange. You mean the bunsen burner scene that represented
2: propel. erections for the teacher? Yeah, that was very weird. Exactly. And the casual racism towards Little Romeo for no apparent reason in that first scene is introduced. I was like, what is going on? First name Lil. Little Romeo. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um.
3: The, so my my oh, thing, I by still the think. Way... Oh yeah, go sorry, Michelle. Go, go
0: ahead. No, you go ahead. Um, I still think that a way to think about this film is that it is presenting and then haphazardly and incomplete. Like, I do think that in some senses, this is a failed film, um, which is part of what makes it interesting to me because I think that it's presenting and deconstructing partially um, the sense of entitlement that... A lot of protagonists like this yeah. have like if you were to sort of put this movie next to Ferris Bueller's Day Off or something mm-hmm. um, because I think the reason that like we're with Max for an hour and we're like yeah totally rooting for this guy is because he's just the archetype of a character that in all these movies we root for the things that he mm. does and um, and it's like, oh, that's the girl and he's he's supposed to get the girl and he's supposed to beat the bullies. But there are just things about his world that are like a couple degrees off of, of the trope in a way where it's like, huh, this is strange. And then the movie begins to deconstruct and say like, oh, actually, you know, you're not entitled to those things and like taking those things for yourself and disregarding consequence and living in like a completely egocentric way makes you a terrible person. Um, But then the movie still gives him everything that he wants, you know? Yeah. Um, And
2: I agree. Like, I think there is a deconstruction. Now I'm not saying that there isn't. I just think that it's so short amount of time in the actual film and it's so late in the game and when that scene happens of him going to the diner, you know it's oh oh it's that scene. You just know watching oh it's the it's the contrived mm-hmm. con- conflict scene. But I don't want to just say all the negatives because I do actually unfortunately have quite a lot that isn't just it. But I do want to talk about positives because this is a movie you guys both recommended and and I do do have some positives to talk about as a first time mm. viewer. Um, Larry mm. Miller. Ah. Oh.
3: One of the stars so, of the film, incredible. We've work. had
2: him on the show a few times before, haven't we, Bartek? And he's always been a gem. But our big complaint with him always is he's not in it enough, and that still is yeah. relevant now. What do you think, Bartek? Um,
1: I th- definitely that was a complaint that we had in other things. I think he was in it decently enough in this, especially since you know he was probably the most prominent of the antagonists. He was the last one to be dealt with.
2: I'll, I, I don't know. I, I think. I don't know if he was the prominent one. I felt like the... Well, he was the big one. Oh, yeah, he was the adult. Like, he's the big one. But, like, I don't feel like he was the prominent one. Like, my thing is, again, my film brain, I'm just going too many villains. There's four of them. And they all have to share screen time together. And I feel like maybe just two, maybe three. Because...
0: I don't know. I think this I think this movie uh, handles multiple villains better than Spider-Man 3. But I'm not you know? comparing it to but Spider-Man I Man 3. I agree with that.
2: But, but my thing <laughs> is, it's just uh, like, for instance, we have the adult villain, Bartek. We love adult villains in children's media, such as Paul Giamatti in Big Fat Liar. And that movie knew that a character like him needs the time. We need to spend it with him being the antagonist. And then you have a minor antagonist. And I even said in Big Fat Liar that the minor antagonist didn't need to be in the film. the the bully character, and that didn't need to be in the film. And this film, I'm just like, I wish just Larry Miller was the big antagonist. And then, like the, you know the the school ground bully character was like the thug antagonist. And maybe, They inter like maybe the two antagonists interact more. But in this you have like four of them and like the ice cream man is like, I don't even know what that is. Like I don't know why he's even here. It just feels like this would be in the cartoon version of the show.
3: Yeah. Well, I think part of the reason that all there's all these villains and what works in some ways about it is that they are all different examples of like how Max in his past has unintentionally like harmed other people in meaningful, serious ways. Uh, especially the ice cream man and uh, the the financier if you will uh, not that not that Max was the one that like led to him losing a million dollars but like he's the reason the ice cream man is struggling so much. Uh, as he almost got him fired he got him in trouble because his mom found us or he his mom reported him for finding a snow, uh, cockroach in his snow but cone. he but the film doesn't uh, present
2: that 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 was a lie. that's a truth. and from what we get of the ice cream man, that is a truth I don't deny I don't think he didn't have that. so we're being told Max is awesome because he's he he at one point took down this bully figure. And now he's in his life yeah, all the time. Right. The financier guy—he was the one that I'm like he could go from the film. I like Orlando Brown. I mean, he's a weird guy in real life, but I like yeah. him. But he, yep. him and Max didn't have anything together. They were just people that interacted. But the the other bully character, whose name is eluding me right now, they were child. Trent, yeah, they it? were childhood friends, and he got traumatized at his birthday party. So there is a connection there. And then Larry Miller is just you know he's the, you know he's the big boss. He's the you know he's the the principal. He's the adult that has to be taken down. But
0: yeah, I think the issue with the villains is that there isn't really I think this movie could sustain that many antagonists if there was like a unifying principle among them. But there isn't really. No, I I think the the attempt, the thing that I found the most interesting that this movie didn't really deliver on or explore is I actually liked the the like Wall Street uh, Orlando Brown's character. Um, because there's just something really satisfying about a kid's movie depicting like a stockbroker as the bully. I, I, I like the um,
2: idea too. I like that and, idea.
0: And I uh, I also liked the like school newspaper kids who kept trying to figure out like the flashiest way to spin stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it almost would have been fun if Max Keeble's big move was like the middle school movie where all of the middle schoolers were like different sort of adult society tropes or characters of the real world, adult world. Exactly. Exactly. And the movie doesn't really do that because it's still got to have like the punk bully and the principal. um, But even the principal could be like, you know, I guess he's the president, right? Like he actually is directly adorning himself as the government. So, I suppose that works. And then in that read, the story of Max Keeble is the story of the sort of like, you know, your average Joe, in quotes, pointing at all these different forces and saying like, look, this is who's keeping me down. Like the government, Wall Street, the media, blah, 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 blah. They're all keeping me down. When actually there's like fundamental problems with myself that I'm not examining and that are like contributing to making these forces what they are. I don't think that the movie intended to do that, and I don't think it really um, did do it. <laughs> and it didn't accomplish it, right, right, right.
2: Bartek, what are some things that you enjoyed about this film? Any any particular characters,
1: moments, or ideas? Definitely, because when I was watching the film, I didn't have the thought of you know this feels like a pilot film. But hearing hearing the opinion here, it just all like comes together. Like oh yeah, this really does feel like feel like a film of setups. Um, that will yeah. have eventual payoffs. And in that sense, I could almost appreciate the film a bit more if it did follow through on creating a Max Keeble universe, because there are a lot of interesting, you know, characters that they introduce. Like, when when we first met um, the the stockbroker character, the Orlando Brown character, I thought he was just going to be, like, you know, a one-scene gag character, and I didn't immediately get that he was, you know, a malicious bully-type character. I thought, like, he was actually mm. a misguided, you know, stock guy who's desperate to get back to, um, you know, his wealth. Uh, mm. So when when they followed through him, him being a, a villain, I I was, you know, a bit thrown off about that. Um, things mm. I did like, though, yeah, th- like I said, I, I love the, the the reporters who are always trying to spin bullying into a story. I thought that was really fun. Um... I think the the film has a lot of good variety in its cast. Mm, That's definitely something that I can say. And it's just, if they could use it a bit more, that would have been great. Because even on a personal level, you know, I'm not going to go on a tangent on this. They had a cast member from Saved by the Bell in this, and he literally had like half a scene and then a reaction, and that was all he was used for. And I thought like, oh, well, you took the time to introduce him. You then interrupted him with these other three Eastern European gag characters and then never really did anything with him again.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of characters that they really focused on and they went nowhere, like, hot teacher lady, and she's just there to introduce pheromones as a thing for a gag, or, like... so I, I agree. I, I liked all these characters and kids and all these people, but there was a thing of it would have been nice if they got used more. There, there was that fun game I think we all must have played where it's like, hey, it's that kid. And hey, it's that adult. Yeah. And hey, I remember yeah. them from mm-hmm. that show and this show and this show and this show and this movie and this movie. And it was like a fun game of like, how many can we pick? Like, oh, well, there's that that's... Malcolm in the middle kid. And there's this big fat liar kid. And there's, oh, Snow Day cast got yeah, a reunion. There's the, the hot rich lady from Hitch. Yeah. I think there's a lot of scenes and moments in this movie that are
3: designed and cameos that are designed to just like stick in your head. So that when you like think about this movie, you know, 19 years later, you're like, oh, I I vividly remember them dancing on the tables at the at the the restaurant. And Mm. I remember Little Romeo being Little Romeo being in this movie. And my my thesis about that is he's had an interesting career. Um, he's the son of, I believe, Master P. Is his dad's name? He's a rapper. Uh, yep. it was one of those like, I'm going to make my son famous, kind of, and by like getting him into basketball and getting into rap, and we're just gonna put him in things. But like, he's not a character. He's entirely like that name, so that people remember that name. And like, you know, some people watched the Nickelodeon sitcom that he had, the Romeo Show. But other than that, it's like, yep. is he just there because we know? Like I, that it's just name recognition. It's pure brand recognition. That why why is Tony Hawk in this movie for three seconds? Because it's funny. What are you doing, guys?
2: (laughs) Because it's funny. That's it. That's like it is funny. Why is it funny?
3: And 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 the rest of it is like the plotting is about getting us to all of these scenes that are supposed to be really memorable. Like. Why is there a uh, a food fight scene where uh, Robe uses a tuba and says like it's mustard? There's no catching up. There's no ketchup. It's all mustard. He shoots mustard out of a tuba like it's a machine gun. Uh, it's
2: because it looks cool and because it's cause memorable. It's fun. it's fun. I'm not. Yeah. There's a lot right. of there's a lot of fun little set pieces in in the film. I'm trying to think of other positives I have, like I other than seeing people are like, oh, there's the dad from Lizzie McGuire or stuff like that. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying. Yeah. I'm trying to think like the performances overall were were pretty good. I did find just because of like I said, I found Max a little bit, uh, a little bit hard to tolerate just because he was such. Uh, Kevin McAllister precocious genius boy who's perfect and then they try to yeah. but
0: I think the kid is I think the actor's doing a really good job with it though like I think the character's great but but sometimes it's hard to
2: separate and especially this is the only thing I've seen him in so it's kind of like uh, okay like I can tell he's doing the best he can I think Josh Peck was severely misused yeah he was he he he's a funny kid Uh, he was a funny, he's a funny guy and they just don't give him jokes, really. They don't give him much to do. Like, like he's just there.
3: Exactly. The one or two times that he does make jokes are very good and, like, funny and memorable because he just knows how to be uh, self-deprecating without being, like, you know, obnoxious about it. And he just gets these quick little gags in and these little jabs that are very funny. Um, Mm. I think Josh Peck, especially at the time, was super talented and and is, like, yeah, another one of my favorites that's underutilized
0: as a kid who yeah they kind of just make jokes at his expense yeah, yeah and a lot of a it is
2: yeah. they, but they don't even make that many if they're going to do that if they're going to have the oh here's the fat kid who pukes and we're going to make we're jokes at his expense at least do it if you're going to commit <laughs> commit to right. it if
0: you're going to do it do it that's yeah. the... like we just kind of get the ice cream truck guy being like oh my favorite customer yeah, like, okay <laughs> which also uh, there's something there like that could have been the movie <laughs> that his best friend is in league with his villain, Yeah. right? right. You know, but instead, the movie has fun. to
3: get he has to get us to all these set pieces, and we have to understand like here's why he wants to move. He wants to move because he's bully- being bullied from all directions, and uh, he's and so he's learning to come to terms with that. And as soon as he does, he he starts burning all the bridges. He starts flirting with the with Jenna, who again I feel so weird about the way that she's sexualized in this film, and like what the clearly, film clearly. Clearly, this actress is older than everyone else in the she's movie. She's 16. The actress was 16 when this came out. Yeah, 16. And she's playing a 13 year old, presumably.
1: I think she's supposed to be older. No, she's a ninth grader, so she's she's 15, a 16. Grade, so she's like She is 14. a ninth grader. What are you doing, Max? Don't talk to ninth
2: graders, you weird boy. But but, but he why not? Like for Max, what like <laughs> no, you said, he's burning the bridges. And you know, when you're a kid and you're like going through these changes, there's going to be like you know some attraction towards girls in different years or whatever or whatever. It doesn't that's not the problem. It's the problem is Jenna. Is it Jenna? Is that her name? Yeah. 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 She is weirdly sexualized and isn't a character.
3: Yeah, right. the only thing I noted right. about Jenna that I really, really liked was the fact that They play she the same doesn't... song
2: every time she entered.
3: I thought that was hilarious, <laughs> and we're going to talk about that. But no, it's it's the fact that when she finally, at the end, when Max is like, uh, actually, my friends matter more to me than this ninth grader who doesn't even remember my name. She doesn't, like, get with someone else. Her ending is is to not be with Max. Her ending isn't to, like, be with a cool jock, because there is no, like, cool jock in this movie other than the the two foreign kids who throw the guys into the dumpster three uh three she's trying. just kind of like slid aside th- oh, three oh, is it three of them
2: yeah yeah
3: oh okay well rule of three sh- rule of threes that's true um yeah she's just kind of like brushed aside because it's like all right now time to focus and then the movie's over like i yeah. almost at that point i was like all right now we get to watch uh you know max hang out with megan and, and robe and it's like no no the movie's over that's it you like get two seconds of them and that's it That yeah, it's a
0: pretty it. misogynist film i mean i think that's like a that's a deep problem with it and a and a blind spot that Mm. like you i don't know you could make the case that like because the britney spears hit is so overt they're like trying to make a comment on it but it doesn't it really doesn't feel that way no it just is like you're having a 16 year old bend over and you're playing britney spears in the background which is um,
3: hysterical because the whole thing with Britney Spears' career is that she was being hypersexualized at 18
0: years old, younger, and that was like a whole thing. We're and younger, yeah. I will. S- and then, go on. oh, and then like you just—I I don't know. Like it really is this sort of male entitlement thing of, oh, I deserve to be with like this the hottest girl in school, and then the hottest girl in school wants me and then i get to turn her down and like uh you know like pity date my best friend who's like far more competent than i am and like a much better person and was the voice of reason the whole time and i never actually listened to her once okay Uh, but i'll allow her to hold my hand and then the whole just the thing the teacher the science teacher of the pheromones yep uh, the, is so, the Bunsen burners is so representing weird. erections was a very nice touch. Uh, yeah, like, she... She was, like, trying to turn on the boys, the boys in her class. Like, what are you doing, lady? This is weird. Uh, statutory, when Max kisses that's what she's doing. Hand, yeah. When Max kisses her hand and she, like, stares longingly after her, him when he walks away, it's mm. like, this is too much.
2: I was going to say more positives, and there are a few, but you've touched upon this. My... And I was worried, like, oh, I don't want to get too deep into this. But I really did get angry. I'm really pissed off at this movie after watching it because of the the, 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 the weird, toxic kind of, oh, I'm the guy and I deserve this. But also how the female characters were treated. But specifically his friend, um, Megan. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Making it's the shortest of scripts. We in this movie. are
2: told via the language of film, and we have all seen films and TV shows. From the very beginning, you know that she has a thing for him because of how this works. She's the friend, yeah. and she's right. the girl, and he's right. the main character. We had a very similar situation, didn't we, Bartek, with the movie Snow Day. Snow Day has this exact same idea, yeah. which is, and she's he- in it also. Yes, she's it and she's cool. the younger sister. And Josh yep. Peck's in it, too, as her best friend. Yep. But in Snow Day, he is an entitled guy who goes after this popular chick. And yep. he has a best friend who's obviously into him. Obviously into him is the thing I've got to say. Because yep. yeah. mm-hmm. in yeah, this yeah. film, it was not at all obvious to me that she was into him in a romantic sense. In any way, it was felt more no, of a platonic. But then Josh Peck tells us specifically, she likes you. And that means, you know... More than just platonically. She likes you. And yeah. I got so like, annoyed. Really likes you. I got mm-hmm. so annoyed. I can do a really good young Josh Peck impression from Snow Day specifically. We'll get into that. But, me oh man. no, you um, right? Oh, there you are. I'm here. Uh, so, the <laughs> thing is, she, in Snow Day, the interesting twist is the popular girl is actually a character. And you could actually see how the guy would actually form a relationship with her. And when they don't, it's actually meaningful and actually feels characterful and doesn't feel like you said, Majan, in which he goes, I don't want you, I'm going to be with my best friend. It doesn't feel that offhanded in this kind of way. And what really bothers me in this movie is Megan is reduced down to she's the girl. From the very beginning, we Mm. as an audience are assuming that this is where it's going to go, but then it doesn't do that. It just doesn't. And then Josh Peck says, oh, she likes you. And then... Really, they don't really get together by the end, which is fine. That could be fine. I didn't think that they really got together by the end, him and Megan. They never really connected. And here's my big problem. What did she do as a character to insert the knowledge that she actually liked him? We were just told that. And we assume that because she's the girl in the film. But I did not. I cannot recollect a moment in which she, as an actual character, asserted her romantic feelings towards him uh, in point. any way. At least that's in Snow good. Day, she did, and it actually mattered. But in this, she's just reduced down to oh, because she's the girl. She obviously I likes mean, him.
3: Right?
2: There's a there's a very
3: clear read in this that she maybe doesn't even like him, and then that's that's Robe saying that, and she just wants to hang out with her childhood friend because she, everything she's doing is like you know I baked for you, which as we understand, gender roles is, like, a, a form of affection. But, like, mm-hmm. she maybe she's just baking to, like, you know, say goodbye to an old friend. Uh, she wants to hang out with him. She wants to, like, go do pranks and, like, go to the movies and, like, go to the animal shelter with him. Like, she's not saying, like, I want to, like, hold your hand and anything like that. No, she isn't. It,
2: it's one of those... But the it, film it, it says She's it. never
3: talking about that. Yeah, it's other people saying that. And I, the film says the, it, yeah. The, f-
1: the film doesn't even follow through on how they introduce her. It's like, oh, she always carries the clarinet and she trips. So you're like, oh, she's also like a clumsy, sort of ditzy character. But then for the rest of the film, she's kind of just like, you know, deadpan. She, nothing, character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, and and I really got pissed off at that after watching the film because I just thought about it. I was like, "Wait, did they even get together in the end? No, 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 not really. So what was even the point of reducing a character down yeah. to that?" And the answer is because she's the girl. That's all I can give you is because yeah. she's the girl. That's that's it. Like mm. at the end, that's it. That's the only reason. And and that kind of really annoys me when we're talking about oh this film does all these subversive things or it has these ideas. At the end of the day. It was a pretty weirdly sex- sexist kind of film, and I don't usually get into yeah, yeah, that yeah, minutia. Deeply,
0: deeply sexist.
2: I don't usually get into that minutia, especially with children's films. I try to give it a bit of a break, but, okay, there's the boner jokes with the Bunsen burners, and, oh, there's this and this and this, but at the end of the day, what really offends me is a strong female character that we are supposed to have in the movie is the voice of reason, which is always what the girl character is supposed to be in films, right. is reduced mm-hmm. down to, oh she likes you because of course she does of course she likes you romantically but she never asserts that as a character we're just told that and 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 also then the
0: inherent assumption is like her friendship only has meaning to him once he knows that she likes him
2: exactly and then he has to redeem and 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 oh maybe they'll get together in the end And who knows, but I just, that really, really frustrated me because when we do other films like, say, Big Fat Liar or Snow Day, even though romance in kids' movies necessarily isn't the strongest thing in writing terms, at least those films put the effort in. They at least put the effort in and show it and actually let things speak. Like, when Amanda Bynes and Frankie Muniz get together in a romantic kind of capacity in the kids' film Big Fat Liar... It's earned because you understand why, and you just and it isn't just reducing her to the girl character, she's actually got some agency, whether it's romantic or not. In this film, she doesn't have any agency, she's just there, and then at the end, she helps save the day, and that's kind of cool. But by that point, she's already reduced to oh, oh she just does it because she's romantically involved. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 poor, even like
3: it's not even just Megan and uh and Jenna, I mean. Every woman I can think of that's in this movie is put down in some way and ignored in some way. You have Max's mom who starts the film <laughs> off by talking about, like, I love this house because I finally, I finally perfected it. We have the furniture that we want. Like, I've achieved this sort of American dream of like owning all of the things I could ever want. It seems like an impossible goal as an adult to think of like not only owning a house, but owning a house and, ha- and having everything you want for it. And she's just put upon, and then the, the dad is like, We're moving. And she's like, All right, well. I guess I'll go fuck myself <laughs> and, and all my dreams are gone. And then you also just bit character have uh, miss uh, miss Rangoon who is the assistant to the principal who is again, just completely ignored. And it's just her gag is to be like, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to do crimes again and get away with it. That's great. Good luck with that. And like, she's just doing her job. She's collecting paychecks while this guy's going to jail. I really hope that the, sequel, the imaginary sequel to this movie has Miss Rangoon as the, pr- the principal. I think that'd be wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think... She deserves it.
2: You know, that, and that just kind of bugs me because when it comes to Max, you know, he's learning lessons and whatnot, and he's supposed to be doing this. But, you know, one of the things is, you know, Jenna is sexualized in the filmmaking, and in turn, she's sexualized by Max because what yes. he does is an act because he's sexually attracted to her. He doesn't have any kind of feelings for her as a person. He likes looking at her, and that can be fine in itself. But again, the way the film presents her, she's like this shallow character, which again can be fine, but it's this weird thing where they shoot it in a very sexualized fashion, and it's done at that point that, oh, we have to have him hit his low point, and it just kind of all culminates in all these things. You know, there is things in here that I do like, but I think the problem is there's just so few of them that get outweighed by the negatives. I keep thinking this wants to be as clever as Big Fat Liar and as charming as Snow Day and all these other films. But it just doesn't do it because mm-hmm. there's too many characters. There's too f- there's One of my complaints is also, and I don't know, Bartek? about you, you're a bit different to me, but I just felt like this film wouldn't shut the fuck up. Like It's constantly noises <laughs> and <laughs> visual language just thrown on screen like, oh, here's a thing where it's still framed and writing comes on the screen and a boing! And they're making all these sound effects and kids are screaming and there was never any... There was like two or three scenes that were quiet and they weren't even that long. They just cut immediately to like, here's Larry Miller! Blah, blah. And I just was it's like, this spread, the- film won't it's shut it's up. In-
3: exactly the film won't shut because there's infinite like sight gags too and it's like someone has to fall and make a loud noise every three seconds or else the kids are going to get bored which i understand from a filmmaking perspective you're like this is a movie where kids need to be able to turn this on and be like okay what's going on i get it all right it's actiony here we go like instantly but it's it's yeah it ends up being so like hyper kinetic that it's a lot was
1: it was it like that during all the scenes where um where the three friends were just talking because that happens a fair bit throughout the film doesn't it
2: they don't really sit down and talk that much. That when they do, they're planning, and you get the music—the bump, 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 that kids' music. That's like they're planning. You have the scene in which he doesn't show up. You have the scene in which he tells them they're leaving, and you have, I guess, like one of the scenes near the end just to give it some fair shot. Oh, and you have a scene with his parents, and that's yeah. like it. That's it.
0: The rest. Well, of... and they and they have that heart-to-heart, or maybe it's the initial planning actually, where they're in the. The tree house. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, no, no. Where they're they're having this sort of like slow conversation about like, yeah, it sucks, I'm moving. And then the <laughs> maybe the filmmakers, the thought process was, okay, this is kind of a slow conversation. What's the most interesting place we can put it? How about a junkyard? Yeah. While cars are getting crushed.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> that junkyard there. comes back later, you see. True, right. right. It's right. all
3: build up. I think the closest thing the movie has to a truly quiet moment is a moment that should have mattered more where max is, t- is planning stuff with Rob and megan and they're sitting in a treehouse, and he just kind of stares at the two of them like wow i really do have two friends who are like helping me come up with this wacky absurd plan that's gonna like get all my re- the revenge i've ever wanted on all my bullies and he like breathes on that and sits on that for half a second mm-hmm. and then we're right back into the fun and it's like that never that never matters max is never like realizing like, oh, I had that until the, like you said, the last like minute of the movie where he's like, oh, whoops, shoot. I had friends. Crap. I had friends. They're good.
2: Um, They're the only reason I was able to do any of this. As a child who did not grow up with all of these Disney Nickelodeon shows, there are some people that I'm a bit of a blind spot, like Josh Peck. I, I know him from Snow Day and I know of him as an adult and what he did on the Drake and Josh show, but I never actually watched that show. And the thing that I've always found confounding when watching a movie like this is that, uh, you know, if you don't know people, you have certain, you don't, if you haven't engaged in the media, these people are in, you have certain expectations or a certain idea of who these people are or what kinds they play. In in Snow Day, he plays the fat kid who falls down and farts, but he's very much a quippy (laughs) character. He's always making jokes. They even say in the audio commentary, Josh Peck in between, in between shoots would go downtown and do stand up. Like, that's how clever he is. And I always think, not having watched a full episode of Drake and Josh, I'm like, oh, I always thought that Josh Peck, although a big guy, maybe there's jokes about him being fat, I always thought that he was kind of like a clever kid and gives zingers and is kind of like, you know, a bit more of your neurotic type. But in this movie, he's presented as, I'm a fat kid who falls down, and that's all he's got. That's all he's got. And I just found it very disheartening because... I've seen him in one other movie in which they have that element, but they actually give him something. In my perception, I thought Josh Peck was a bit more of a character, like an actor who was given characters with a little bit more than just he's fat and he farts. But in this movie, that's all he's got. That's all he's got. And I found it very bummer. But also, when I think Josh Peck, I think he's funny. From what I have seen of him and what I know of him, I know he's a funny guy. He is not funny in this movie. They don't give him anything funny to do. They don't give him anything. Like, you say there's a couple. I don't even think so. I, I found him there. He's there. He's just there. I didn't find him amusing at any point, and I want to, because I I, I I like him. He seems like a cool guy, but in this, they just didn't give him anything to work with, and it was just like, okay, you got a funny kid, and you're not going to use it. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah, they had such a they had such a clear. I feel like the only character who had a very clear comedic game to them was the principal, and everybody else there's sort of like half baked ideas or you have a scene. I think like like Bartek was saying, like oh, we know that Megan is supposed to be a certain kind of character, but then that just isn't really delivered on or or characterized later. Mm. Um. And it it seems like the only character that they really got right is, uh, is the principal because he has like his consistent thing about saying like he doesn't just have a zero tolerance policy; he has a sub zero tolerance <laughs> policy, which is more than zero. <laughs> um, yeah, we're saying that ex courage is the opposite of encourage, or like he's his whole shtick is is very well defined, and I think that other characters suffer from not. Uh, having that to the same extent, and I, this I think this
3: movie could totally function. Sorry, Bartek, with just like we said this earlier, but like just him as the villain.
2: Yeah, mm. he would know? be the Marty. He's Wolf. literally
3: doing crimes. He's literally arrested in this movie <laughs> for doing
2: an illegal thing. <laughs> he should be <laughs> the Paul Giamatti of this movie. He should be Marty yeah. Wolf, but he's not. Yeah. He's he's there, and he's yeah, he's
1: the last one's taken down. So obviously, you think of him as the main one. Well, he's the one he should have kept. <laughs>
2: I, yes. I, I think he has a multi-layered sticks going on and I think that might just be because, because of Larry Miller he's a character actor. We have seen him in a bunch of things and he always plays a lot of slimy roles and when you see him and he's performed this kind of a lot, he just exudes more energy to it and that's not to disservice the children acting in this movie who are lumped with just a character type they're obviously very good too, but he's a seasoned pro at doing this kind of sleazy character. And I think he adds multiple layers, not just the written stuff, but there's more to it that I think he adds as a performer. And he's a breath of fresh air uh, and but the problem is, I wish that they focused on him more. At the end, he's like, "I'm going to destroy this zoo that you love so much." And I didn't care because one, we didn't even focus on that animal <laughs> sanctuary rescue a, a lot. Yeah, that was such a weird extra thing, right? Like, Max wh- just happens to really
3: like volunteering at this zoo, and it just happens yeah, to be was the that one that's being even shut because he's a good guy. I feel like that, because like, he's a good guy. Because yeah, he's, he's, like like cool he's a cool before... nerd. He's a cool
1: nerd like it's really cool that, that like, the school he ended up going to is right next to it.
2: Yeah, and that yeah. the school can easily have a wild yeah. animal like a chimpanzee come in and rip your face off. I mean, that was nice. Because when that chimp oh, he... ran through the window and started attacking Larry Miller, I was like, that's genuinely frightening if you thought about it in that's...
1: reality. <laughs> yeah. Didn't the trivia say that he got a concussion?
2: Yeah. um, It's just odd to me. Like... They have all these disparate elements. So it's like, okay, we have all these bully characters. We have all these like, oh, Max is involved in this. Oh, he's going to destroy this thing that Max likes so he can build a football stadium. But, oh, it doesn't matter because Max is moving anyway. And the game point where, where can someone clarify this? Larry Miller says to him, oh, you thought that you saved the animal rescue. No, you yeah. didn't. What did Max do to think that he saved it?
0: I, I missed it. I don't know. Maybe they cut it. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't in the film. Who knows?
1: Yeah, if anything, Max was against trying to help it on the basis of trying won't do anything. Yeah, he was a nihilist. <laughs> Max's MO in this film was, Motus operandi, is to <laughs> just burn bridges. It's basically a burning the bridge plot, and then, oops, can't burn the bridges because I'm on this side. Can someone explain right. the joke? Other than the initial joke of
2: of, of of Josh Peck wearing a robe. Like, initially it's like, oh, that's odd. But what's the joke? It's ex- It's exactly what Max says at
3: the beginning. He says, do you have, do you know somebody in your school, and this is like him talking to the middle school audience watching this movie, yeah. who is just weird but doesn't care and has a weird quirk, but, do- but no, people don't care about it. That is all it is.
2: They don't do any jokes it's with like- it, though. At the end? No, no, except for the part where the teacher is like, yes, yes, yes. But that's the thing. He wears it as a flag at the end, and the way it's done, it made it feel like to me, did I miss something? Like, oh, this is, like, the big character thing for Josh Peck. He's finally not wearing the robe, and he's waving about, and it felt like that thing, like, how he's overcomes something. Like, he took the
3: weights off, his power-limiting weights off, and now he's, like, super strong, and he, like, throws the ice cream man off a bridge
2: or something. Yeah, and I was like, okay, but that's the thing. It felt like, oh, this is a gag. Now, this is a very specifically odd thing to say. But when a film like Fred Three, Camp Fred, oh god, does a better job yeah. with this exact same joke, you're in real trouble, because there's a joke in Fred Three, Camp Fred. Uh in which there's a girl who's called Spoons because she has a spoon in her hand and she's always eating and she's like a thin Asian girl and there's like the comedy juxtaposition of you're seeing this and you're like, okay, that's odd but at the end, they have to enter in this, you know, in their camp, uh, a food eating competition. Oh, she wins because she's always eating. She's always got a spoon. There's a through line but him just like, and he's called Robe. He's always wearing a robe. Other than just that well, being initially been... funny, there's nothing to it, and it's just kind of like, okay.
3: It's like if you've ever seen the film Sky High, which is another Disney Channel yes. film, the whole thing about one of the oh, characters... we being a commentary that. Sorry, we we do. No, you're right. Um, it's, yeah. the, it's the American live-action My Hero Academia movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, there's a character in that movie who turns into a gerbil, and she thinks that her power is useless until they need to get into some vents, because the point yep. is that everybody's useful in their own way.
2: Not in not in Max <laughs> Keeble. <laughs> Everyone's kind of useless in their own, in their own
0: way. Correct. He, he has he has the robe just because he has the robe. Because um, they, the right. they wrote it it's just, down. It, seemed, as a... it seems like it's the same level of characterization as Megan, where it's like, what's unique about her? Oh, she has a, she has a clarinet or an oboe or whatever. What's weird about him? He's got a robe. Yeah. But then, yeah, the, his character isn't any deeper than, like, he's the best friend guy. Yep.
2: He's there to say Hey, she likes you. That's what it's there for.
1: was not it also mention that Jenna plays the clarinet?
2: Yeah. Yeah, they both do.
1: Yeah, they mentioned that at one point, but they didn't really follow through much on like a mirroring thing, did they? No. No,
2: she just kicked her out of her chair. Right, and rightly so, by the way. Uh, Yeah,
1: because her name was on it. (laughs) Her name's on it. That's a good gag. That's a good visual gag. That's a good gag, yeah. That's a good gag.
2: I guess. Like,
1: If
3: you
2: can read. If you can read. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's like... Here's the thing. I know some people will be listening and saying, and maybe even you guys are like, hey, Ryan, you're being very harsh against this Disney children's film from 2001. And I am being harsh, because when we did Unappreciated Masterpieces, we really went out of our way to choose movies that had a little bit more than what was on the surface. And I really feel like this is just surface-level stuff. Although there is this deconstructionist twist that we want to talk about or whatever, it I just don't think it amounts to anything beyond just that's the inciting incident and that's the third act, you know, second to third act low point and that's not a twist. That's not many things other than what you have in these movies. When it was like his parents aren't moving, I wasn't shocked. I knew immediately that was going to be happening. As soon as they pitched the idea oh, he's going to burn bridges, I'm like, oh, well, then he won't move. The twist of Max Keeble's big move is he doesn't move. <laughs>
1: uh, like is misleading. I guess this is on me, but that was in the synopsis. So when it happened so late, I was like, oh, this is really weird that they'd advertise the film like this. Yeah. Because I thought, it happens, thought that... Yeah, I it thought happens that since it's I in thought. the synopsis, it would be like that everything would happen much sooner. Like introduce the bullies sooner, introduce the burning bridges sooner, introduce the the not moving things sooner, and then like the second half of the film is all you know, repercussions for that and, you know, making peace. But instead we have the sec the third act low point, um, before we find out that he's not moving. And yeah, I just felt that was really strange.
0: Yeah, I think what it comes down to is um like when they made Max Keeble, they were trying to they weren't trying to make like a new kind of film, right? They were trying to make no. like your standard middle school fit in things are hard i'm a protagonist kid guy movie with a couple extra ideas and i think because of that like the movie's not really trying to upend anything but the Mm. extra ideas that are thrown in there have some of them i think have a subversive quality that make it so you can look at max keeble and think about like if this movie had tried to fulfill some of the promises that it makes or some of the things that it like half-heartedly does, if it tried to really do those things, I think that it, it could be like a really classic kid film. That's different saying different things than a lot of other kid films are. Mm. Um, But it doesn't, it doesn't fully deliver on those things. But I guess my experience watching it was like, it was fun to sort of imagine those ideas taken to their full extent what they could have accomplished. Yeah. Um, And so for that reason, I I had fun with it. But, like, it is a flawed and kind of, like, half-baked film because I think there's just an inherent cynicism of, like, yeah, whatever, we're making a kid thing, and he's, like, a middle school kid. And, uh,
2: and he has a bearded dragon, and he rides a bike and he's a paper boy and that doesn't really matter, but um, he's cool, he likes yeah. animals <laughs> and here we go again <laughs> oh, my thing is, that is yeah, true does. what you I, said I, but it's... there's also the problem of yeah. just basic scripting is barely there, like what we said about the girl character, yeah. what we said about, what I at least feel about him having flaws is not introduced late in the movie and then it's only really fully fleshed out for like five minutes and Basic things of a script, and I know not every film has to follow the three act structure and the basic things of a script. But when you have a film like this that is doing it, but then it's just, but then it's not doing the the the, the basics of other things, it really is noticeable. And when you're a kid, you don't notice these things unless you're very observant. Like, one of the things that I did with Unappreciated Must Be is, like, I chose films that I enjoyed as a kid, same with Bar Ticket, but we also chose films that we hadn't seen but others have spoken of. And there's always that thing of, like, you know, even as a kid, I didn't like being spoken down to. I didn't like being patronised by a film or by a piece of media. Even as a kid, I always got enthralled as a kid when there was mature things, but also just good things typical script writing things when i do something like when we talk about big fat liar it is so mature to see as a kid an adult be so silly but still be such an adult at the same time and to have a character that's flawed and 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 something like jumanji where that movie is so mature mm-hmm. for kids film, but also oh, yeah. like it's silly and it has ron williams being zany and this film, I just was like, this would have been one of those films as a kid. I would have felt like, oh, this is, this is speaking down to me. And that maybe that's also to, between myself and, and you guys from chats, there's also a thing in which I'm an Australian. And sometimes, as much as America, American media as I have consumed in my life, there is that thing of, it's very American, and that can be a little. Yeah. And this film was mm-hmm. very American. And as a kid, mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely know in my heart, I would have felt that because, I understand, like from films and whatnot, this whole school environment and the bad teacher and all of this. And you know, that's not even real in real life necessarily. Anyway, it's exaggerated for media, but there is this thing of yeah. as an Australian and as a kid who didn't like being patronized. Sometimes some American isms that I see in Mm. media are very patronizing to someone who isn't from America and maybe even for people who are from America. And it's just like, to me, I just see something like this and I go, it's not even doing the basics of scripts as well as just being a little too American for me, a little bit too, like, he's a precocious, awesome kid. And it is just nothing there. And I think as a kid, I wouldn't have cared for this movie very much either. And... Mm. It's that kind of thing in which it's like, I wish that it followed through, not just on some neat ideas, but just basics. Basics. Mm. Um, I,
3: yeah, my, my last couple of stray notes here are mostly about like side character stuff and moments I liked, but ultimately I think this movie was more fun to film than it was to watch. I think mm. like the food fight scene must've been an absolute delight. They got lots of crunchy, loud squishy noises and fun like set piece stuff there and uh you know you have the like iconic ice cream truck and like the dancing on the restaurant table scene like this is a movie that in in some way must be fun just for the actors to like have some fun and do a little like simple plot you know
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, tell that to Max Keeble when he was thrown in the mud. <laughs> right. Like, to the trivia. The trivia saying, like, he hated that, and it was gross as heck, yeah. It was the worst thing in his professional career, I think. Yeah, and he did the he voice said. of which... Hey
2: Arnold at one point. Huh.
3: Yes, he did. Um, which, his career, I think he, unlike so many of the actors in this film, got out of showbiz early enough to focus on school, as I understand it. Like, around 0- 06, 07, the the guy who plays Max Keeble was like, I'm done acting. And I like to think that maybe it was like this movie was just so good that he was like, I've peaked with Max Peoples. <laughs> not not, Peoples- not Home Alone
2: 3, huh? Okay.
3: <laughs> no, not Home Alone 3.
2: That's what Lost name. in oh. my home. I... I... Yeah, I, I think this is one of those ones where you do get an enjoyment from watching kids have fun. I'm not denying that. There was things like, again, there are things I do enjoy in this movie, but there was just a lot that pissed me the fuck off that I didn't expect. I just walked in being like, oh, it's going to be a kid's movie. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be like hijinks. But there was just like weird sexism. The mild racism towards Little Romeo in that scene uh-huh. was very odd. I don't know why it was there. Uh-huh. It felt like a, like a, like a, you know, like a Seth Rogen comedy gag. I don't know why it was in this. There's Very the, on.
3: A lot of it, a lot of the, the, the racism and stuff comes from uh, the principal. like how when he brings the superintendent over, the whole reason he builds a football field is because he was a former football player. And he's like, you like sports, right? That's the thing that you're good at, right? Is sports because you're the football guy. Um, hmm. So I made a football field so that you would like me. Or when he introduces the like Eastern European football players, he doesn't know their names because he's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> By the way, they, <laughs> they aren't like, even care care Eastern European, names, as
2: we find out at the very end as well. There's that gag, if you didn't notice, where one of them speaks with a perfect American accent, and then he's like, oh, 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 and then he puts on a German accent. So it's even Oh, I didn't catch that. More in um,
1: Germany's not Eastern Europe, Ryan. Part That's of it, true. No.
2: Um, you're right. And yeah, so... so so there's little things like that I enjoyed. I really loved when Larry Miller walked past a child and smacked a book out of their hands and said, this isn't a place for <laughs> smiling. <laughs> 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 and that is the shit that I'm talking about. Like, as a kid, I love that. That's the kind of shit like when with characters that are adults are both immature and extremely mature. And that's what I love. And as a yeah. kid, I always, this is again mm-hmm. me, I always love the antagonists in kids' movies. I rarely ever care about protagonists in kids' media, or in media so, in yeah. general. I'm a antagonist Same. boy. And I love Larry Miller in this. And I was just like, you should win. <laughs> Get your football field. Tear up that animal sanctuary <laughs> that's barely been developed and attacked you, and you should reasonably destroy it. Fuck him.
3: <laughs> the two characters who should really win are the kid who is referred to exclusively as worried boy, who just every time something happens, <laughs> he's like, "It's like, jeez, uh, <laughs> what happened to him? Oh, my mom's gonna be mad." He just went away. Him. <laughs> he just vanished. He like briefly at the end is like, "Yeah, you did it." And then the guy who runs the uh, like the the wildlife place um weirdly very handsome dude who's just ripped and he's like what's up max and he just very clearly explains everything that's wrong with the plot and he's just like yeah they're shutting us down we don't have jobs anymore what are you gonna do with the animals well i don't know because we're being shut down with a week's notice why that sucks anyways bye max Keeble. i'm not in the movie anymore. <laughs> he's, like,
0: he's setting up this whole separate teen movie of like we got to save the the animal shelter yeah and raise the money and do a fundraiser and then he's like oh that's not the plot of Okay, I'm gone. Okay. I'm gone. All
1: right. I didn't but yeah. in that movie Feel Max Keeble it. saved the animal shelter and it was referenced by Larry Miller in this film
2: yeah yeah, it's like a side movie yep.
0: yeah right that's the problem is it's in the ex- Max Keeble expanded universe
2: again I didn't even yeah. care for that guy because when you see his animal sanctuary they're like tiny little cages in this shithole across the road with not even that much of a fence to separate it yeah
0: it can't be legal like, it can't like, be I legal like I
2: just said oh screw it like as soon as the monkey escaped and went straight into the school I was like nah nah that animal sanctuary would be shut down without question. It's gone, and I know. No, no, kiddie. no. That was
1: the that was the power of pheromones. Ah,
2: yes, the power of pheromones, which were okay. There was one gag I almost liked, and then they ruined it. Larry Miller has been spraying the pheromones, and you you know cuts to animals and you hear them. But there's this one bit where he's walking. It's a tracking shot, and he sprays it, and you just hear them quietly in the background. And I was like, that's a great gag. And then they immediately cut to the animals at the sanctuary reacting and thrashing. And I was like, no. The noise was good enough. Like you've already established it. Mm. I was like, "That." A- I was like, "Oh, that's a really nice gag." Like, there's a little audio gag. Like, and then you hear quietly in the background, like, rrr, rrr, and all these animal noises. So I was like, "Cool, cool." But then they had to show it. I was like, "Ah, you ruined it. You ruined it, Max." I
0: I was thinking a lot about how pheromones are like a way bigger thing in media than they are in like quicksand. the world. It feels like, yeah, like quicksand. Yeah. Uh, like junkyards, like food fights. They're just these things are not like real. I don't. Do know. you
2: guys not have food fights in your cafeterias?
0: I've never been in a food fight. That seems like a terrible, I... terrible idea. We don't have cafeterias,
2: yeah. or at least I never have. I was that's like an I American do. thing. It's like, oh yes, the old school cafeteria in which everyone's sitting there in their little tables of nerds and jocks, and
0: that that certainly is true. But uh, I was never involved in a food fight.
2: No. Bummer. You can now as a teacher. Come on, just th- throw food.
0: I I uh, <laughs> I cut off a food fight before it started once. Wow. Uh, I oh. heard rumblings of it being planned and uh, I helped to shut it down. So that's the closest I've, I've come to a food fight. In wow. Australia, we eat food. Yeah, we
2: just eat it. No, <laughs> no, I've had food fights technically. <laughs> well, food fights here in Australia is... Maybe a kid will throw like a like a banana peel or like a like a an orange at you from a distance, yeah. and then yeah. you look at them and go, "What did you fucking do?" And then they go, "Fuck," and then just run away, and that's it. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you we throw, throw words. You throw things, or like what we did. Now, 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 one of my favorite things was you get into a group of people who aren't paying attention, and you have your juice box, or as I called them in New South Wales, the state I'm from poppers because here's the reason you have an empty juice box you blow it up you you put air in it put it on the ground and just stomp on it and it just pops and it scares everyone
3: there you go so or you do the bottle i used to do the water bottle thing where you you twist the begin the top of a water bottle almost until it opens mm. and then you you twist the bottle itself until it's like very tight and then you snap the bottle and it like shoots out like a rocket yeah we did that too that's fun to do we used to get in trouble for that in high school. Oh, actually
2: you get in trouble for anything if you get caught, like an idiot. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying
3: I should have done it under the table. I understand. The,
2: like my my last go on. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go.
3: No, my I'm gonna. I have a wrap up question. Yes. Well, my wrap up question is this. So, uh, Jenna in this film, every time she walks on screen, is preceded by the first couple of notes of "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time" by Britney Spears. If you, mm-hmm. and this is a question for the whole cast, uh, could be preceded when you walk into a room by any. Like, the first couple of notes of any song, uh, what would it be?
2: Bartek, you're a big music guy. Hmm. That's a good question. I would think something David Bowie-esque. Maybe Ziggy Stardust. That's a good one.
3: Just the beginning of Let's Dance? Or, like, just the chorus of Let's Dance?
2: Like in... um like in Zoolander when David Bowie actually appears and his name pops on screen and they just have let's dance. And then it cuts immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: mine would be uh, uh, Australia by the shins <laughs> because it would evoke that is that specific like sadness and nostalgia out of some people. But then everyone else would be trying to hear the lyrics of like born to multiply. What? Mm. All you hmm. want and then it would be it's just be specifically the All You Wants One More Saturday and I'm just walking in
2: <laughs> to that line. So Magellan, oh, which Bare me. Naked <laughs> Ladies song is
0: it? Oh you knew. <laughs> Roasted. You knew. Roasted like chickpeas. Um I'm actually sitting over here trying to decide which Bare Naked Ladies song. I think it'd be um uh, I think it'd be Pinch Me. I think Ooh, that's the one.
2: I don't know Bare Naked Ladies yeah. song. You can say whatever that title I'm
0: is check it out that's sort of a sort of a sad sad one the music video is fun because he like works at a burger king or something
1: bartek not at a good burger bummer for me for me it would be generic polish folk music so that when people see me they'll think that i'm just a you know wacky gag character you know he's just gonna make everyone laugh but really i'm scheming in my head so that i can surprise everyone Mm. Mm. mm-hmm
2: So let's get up to wrap up thoughts. Any any further notes or things that people want to discuss about Max Keeble's big move?
3: Just that there's so much music in this movie that we didn't even get a chance, a brief moment to talk about McGougall's. Oh, uh, it's because I didn't and like how any. Purely any of it. Dis- <laughs> it, it got stuck in my head for a while. It always does. I've like. In the interim, since the last time I saw this movie, gotten that song stuck in my head. good It's not even a good Irish accent. And if you listen to the, the credits, they do the full version of it with nothing, else, no backing. I heard him. And yeah. you can just he- you can hear that guy phoning in the accent. <laughs> it's really bad. The
0: credits also has a remix of Bust a Move with Max Keeble related yeah, lyrics. Yeah, it's true. Little Romeo is singing Max Keeble lyrics. That's true.
2: Oh, was it Little Romeo? I actually thought it was Max. <laughs> <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs>
3: Ninety percent sure it was Little Romeo. I remember we. Oh, like,
2: there is um, there yeah. is the one thing I want to bring up, which Bartek, you asked me if this film was from two thousand and one. Um, on the IMDb trivia, it tells us exactly what date the film takes place, and it ends Tell on us. the seventh of September. I would have in two thousand and one. <laughs> oh I really would have yeah. liked to have seen. I don't know, oh a week later God. in this universe. <laughs> You know,
3: Guess we're not moving to Chicago anymore, you guys. <laughs> you know, a
2: week later in this universe, you know, where they're celebrating my dad's birthday, which is September 11. Um, you know, they're like, oh, Ryan's dad had a birthday. Yeah. Also, something else happened. But, you know, Ryan's dad. <laughs> yeah, Bartek, how do you feel about that? Again, 9-11 yeah. is, is embroiled in media that we have covered. Because we've had you know, a few movies that have think... been affected by 9-11.
1: I don't think comedy would have been appropriate for that time, Ryan.
2: Oh, as Roger Ebert said about Zoolander coming out, yes. The famous Roger Ebert critique of Zoolander was, how dare Ben Stiller release a comedy film in a time of crisis like this? Nice. What was he supposed to to do? (laughs) <laughs>
3: never release anything
2: <laughs> like, fuck. also that
3: was probably made like a year at least if not no that's what I mean Like, it's ma- and,
2: like, films are all on. made beforehand and you have to release things right. but like you know I, I always think about that and Bartek and I make fun of Roger Ebert a lot on this show because I think he was wrong about a lot of things
1: on yeah. Unappreciated Masterpieces he was our sitcom arch nemesis mm, yeah.
2: yeah Bartek would do his impression <laughs>
1: of him and he will be <laughs> like
2: screw you kids <laughs> baby's day out sucks and <laughs> something like that mm. any other final thoughts Bartek anything from you? Um,
1: I think we generally covered it. I didn't have as many problems with the Jenna character as you guys did. Uh, I reckon, and this does reduce the character in a way, but I think she was meant to serve as a device in the sense that, you know, she was a a shadow that Max was chasing. So all the sexualizations, like from his perspective, and in the end he discovers that, oh, she wasn't what she looked like. But again, you know, it wasn't, that big of a thing other than that yeah again don't hate the film but i think it's lower tier in terms of you know these kind of Muñez era films for me
2: yeah yeah uh, magellan any yeah. final things from you notes
0: or thoughts um i uh yeah i don't know i think this is still to me a film that would be fun to like have a group of people watch and everybody has to produce like they have to really work to produce some sort of um, critical essay on it that takes a different approach. Uh, like I would just enjoy that yeah. exercise. As a teacher, like, you enjoy what, that. What's yeah. Kind of the, <laughs> yeah, like what's kind of the ethics class approach of like, well, uh, can anarchy <laughs> function in <laughs> <Should we, laughs> the society should we scrap- of selfish sociopaths? Should we scrap this episode and uh, just do an unappreciated
1: masterpiece as well? Right? Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, so, people, get your copy of Max lined up. Three, two, one, play. So, guys, <laughs> feminist masterpiece? No. But Marxist masterpiece?
0: Yeah. Because if you add a letter
2: to Max, you have Marx. Marx being. There move. is that,
0: that Marxist moment where he he's talking with his dad and his dad's like hey sometimes when you're an adult you have to do what people with power tell you to do and max is like no dad if you seize the means of production and rights or whatever like he almost goes into a full and then his
2: dad does that and we're just told a guy in his 40s will start his own advertising business with no clients and he'll be fine (laughs) good luck dad from Um, mcguire
0: his dad definitely was not in advertising by the way he's telling all of them that he's like a vp of marketing or <laughs> yeah. something that's com- the fact that's that he can just leave that alive.
3: job and be like i guess i didn't want to work there i want to work for myself
0: it's like you weren't dude.
2: he might have been a furry he did wear a lot of animal fur outfits, <laughs> yep. Animal yep. outfits. Yeah. Yep. and maybe yep. this is him justifying yeah, he him. might
0: have been independently wealthy and he just was <laughs> pretending to have a job
2: i think no i think his job was full-time <laughs> furry i think that was his employment and oh, then okay. you know the boss was like chicago yeah. was a meet and his boss was like you're dressing as cheese and he's like where does this fall into the furry huh the cheese
0: <laughs> well the boss is the mouse i guess
2: <laughs> mickey that. yeah mickey really mouse is the boss <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> you're gonna do what <laughs> yeah. i tell you <laughs>
3: no
0: the saddest um, the saddest
2: thing I...
3: about his character sorry briefly Is not only that the wife knows that like pulling a whatever Schmorgendorf, the name of his boss, is a thing where it's like, oh, yep, he fucked with my son's, my husband's wife, uh, life yet again. That's a thing in his life and that they're all used to. And that's really depressing. Also, the part where he's trying to defend the fact that he wears suits by saying, like, honey, there's a lot of junior advertising executives who wish they could be doing what I'm
0: doing. And it's like, dude, no, they don't. You're not real. Oh, yeah. That's not what they're thinking about. (laughs) Um,. Um. Don't. the The last thing I'll say is that uh, Max Keeble's big move taught a generation of kids the phrase plausible deniability, <laughs> but didn't fully teach them what it no, means. It's just it sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that. Oh, and the, I really like the scene where the teacher was like, "Name some verbs," and his friends were like, "Betrayal, Betrayal. to stab Lie. in the back. <laughs> That's a phrase." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> manipulate <laughs> that was good that was i, I that was
2: enjoyed good. uh larry miller presenting at the at the school assembly the the football thing and like you said the sub zero and it made me think yeah, it made good. me instantly think of malcolm in the middle and one of my favorite gags in malcolm in the middle is like uh reese who's in this movie as well the journalist yep. mm-hmm. being being like i defeated uh, is it Mortal Kombat? Mortal Kombat and Nobody Believes Me and, and how the dad just turns around and goes, yeah, it's absurd. No one can defeat Sub-Zero. <laughs> and I just instantly <laughs> thought of that. Um, Yeah, this is... I don't have much more. I didn't comment on the music because I was never... a fair, I, I have my parents' taste in music. Like I said, David Bowie, older type music. So this music didn't really do anything for me. I kind of wish that there was m- like... The music was, like, it felt like you're, you know, switching through the radio. And I kind of wish that there was a few more implementations like the Britney Spears song... That actually yeah. mattered to what was happening on the screen or added some comedic effect. I just felt like, ah, oh, we just have
1: a bunch of songs from this time you that didn't, are popular. You didn't like when Max was bathing in the sprinklers and they had a song going, Hey baby <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what was that? What was that? That song's in the Shark Tale video
0: game.
1: Yeah. What my god of people well,
0: oh, if you awesome. listen
2: to the pod on our episode of Shark Tale, you would know that Bartek has played Shark Tale the game and his brother apparently has not. And then when his brother found out about this, he was like, what are you talking
1: about? Of course I <laughs> have." <That's laughs> I really don't funny. think there's... It's because my brother's name's Oscar. Yeah, like uh-huh. the fish.
2: Uh-huh. Um, anything else? I think that's about it. Uh, Max Keeble's big move was the big ideological smackdown that we needed to have since falling down. Um who would have guessed, huh? <laughs> I think
0: both of them are, are failed deconstructions of the white male ego. I don't think so. Yeah. But I, uh... but, but, but... <laughs> I, think, they're, I think they're a double feature.
2: <laughs> but in which order? <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's up to you uh, I Yeah, I don't know, you can cut back and forth
2: Oh, them. the machete cut it, like just blend them together in the same mm-hmm. film So when Michael Douglas is shooting up a burger place You just cut to Max Keeble being like Oh, here we go again <laughs> And every time it cuts to <laughs> yeah, the Max Keeble yeah, yeah, It exactly.
1: has like s- cartoonish sound effects
2: No, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> no, 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 yeah. In Falling Down there's all the cartoony sound effects Like when they were jumping on the tables And they had like that bwomp, 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 Noise to match their footsteps Yeah. Um, Max Keeble's mm. big move, that's about it Bartek, next episode is a film of your recommendation. What are you hitting us with? It's got to be a foreign film, if I'm not mistaken, because you have a code of ethics.
1: Yes, although to be fair, when I pick an American film, it's also foreign to us. But uh, I pick non-American films every second time. And uh, I want to go back to Japan, Ryan. Yay. We're going Mm. to do the film Wolf Children. Is that a live action
2: or an animated?
1: It's, It's an anime.
2: Is it a good one?
1: The yes. Mamoru Hosoda movie.
2: That's nailing it down,
3: all right. He did the D- he worked on the Digimon movie.
2: Oh, Digimon! <laughs> that was quality. Oh boy, Digimon, Digimon, digital monsters. Um. Yeah. All right, Bartek. Yeah. So, what year is that from again?
1: Oh man, what year was it from? It's I think it's early two thousands somewhere. So thereabouts. it is two. The, it's twelve. Well, Twenty twelve.
2: Early two thousands. Twenty twelve.
1: The year the world ended. Early 2010s.
2: Early 2010s. Uh, Yeah, so we'll be doing that next episode. So, listening people, make sure to check that out. I don't know where one can source it, but I imagine one can have a copy easily available. Uh, Subs, Bartek, I imagine.
1: Yes, original Japanese audio.
2: Absolutely. Well, sometimes we have to clarify because sometimes we watch things specifically for the dubs, like Story of Ricky. Um, So, Subs, uh, Bartek? Thank you very much for the recommendation. I shall have to hunt it down. Hopefully it won't be as hard as Max Keeble, in which I had to sign up for Disney Plus and look at the lack of things on Disney Plus and be very annoyed.
1: Yeah, but they didn't cut out 20 minutes. Yes.
2: um, That's about it. So, Chats, tell us a little bit more about your show and where we can find you on the web.
0: Megan, that's all you okay sure um yeah you can find us a number of different places so the main place is wherever you listen to podcasts you can search chats a television podcast you can also find us over at um, chatspod.simplecast.fm that's where we're hosted um, if you want to follow us on twitter that's at chatspod uh all of that is spelled c-h-a-t-z POD cuz it's a sort of cool. Yeah, not
2: cool to get them to confused with the Australian punk band Chats, spelt with an S, not to get them confused with them.
0: Yeah, or the coffee chain spelled with We don't Z. have that. So. Yeah, we don't have it either, but it exists. Um and then we also have a Patreon if you liked us and you listen to us and you like us some more and you want to hear us do movie commentaries or other conversations uh besides watching a tv show uh you can check us out at uh patreon.com slash chats yeah. so number of different ways but right now we're watching the prisoner it's a short sweet um experience we're only a few episodes in so it'd be pretty easy to catch up with us and finish out the show with
2: yeah us. and on your patreon you do commentaries like we used to do in bartek they've had some overlap they did kangaroo jack
1: Ooh, I think Little yes, Bow Wow did yeah, the credit was, song in that too. Little
2: Bow Wow did a credit song in that, and it was very amusing.
1: So not Little Bow Wow, Little, Little Romeo. Romeo.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah one of the interesting things with you guys though it seems like if you haven't seen the movie before you just kind of watch it for the first time while you're doing commentary we did it more like we watched it beforehand and it had thoughts, critiques so there's a bit of a difference there. It was so amusing to me listening to Kangaroo Jack Mm -hmm. and you guys at the beginning of it being like oh it's going to do all these cliched things and then it didn't do that and at the end both of you begrudgingly being like it didn't do those things that we thought it was going to do and be stupid it was a little bit more clever than we expected dang it. Isn't that the (laughs) chat's experience so isn't that what you pay for that's, that's what we media. all pay for uh for us listening people same kind of deal on all the podcasts available you can find us uh feel feel free to rate and review us on whatever ones allows it because vanity uh we are on twitter and facebook you just look up spittin posh presents you can find us pretty easy we're always posting things on there. questions links to things Further kind of conversations on what we've discussed on episodes that just didn't make it into the cuts and general stuff like that, uh, so you can always find us there communicate with us on there Our email is spitandpolished at gmail.com so if you want to email through your own views on movies that we've talked about, maybe you're Max Keeble himself and you're like, how dare you discuss me like that, Ryan or you have suggestions, <laughs> or you have suggestions for <laughs> movies that we can cover down the line, because this was, you know, uh, listening people's choice. So we will cover future movies down the line of your suggestions if you actually put them through and suggest them. Because hey, if you don't, then we don't know. You might be sitting there yeah. going, "So when are they going to get around to doing this movie?" And we may never do it because you, you never know. suggested.
1: Yep. Everything goes on the list. Everything goes on the list. Everything. Um,
2: so thank you, Magellan and Alan, for joining us to for the smackdown of a lifetime of Max Keyboard. I don't think I think we were the. I think I was the bully to Max. He he never he never <laughs> fucking recovered from my smackdown. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Ryan,
1: That's why you didn't want to talk about the the, the song in the film. Yes, yes. The the, the mascot.
2: Oh boy, Bartek, you must have been very happy to see Jamie Kennedy playing the ice cream man because you're a big Jamie Kennedy uh, fan.
1: <laughs> I only know him from the Heckler documentary. Can you please
2: tell Alan and Magellan a little bit and our listeners about your relationship with Jamie Kennedy before
1: we fully wrap out? <laughs> So it's literally just this Heckler documentary that I watched. So there's a documentary called Heckler, which is about, you know, it starts off being about stand-up comedians um, talking about, you know, the act of heckling and their experiences with hecklers and audiences, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's on topic for one third of it. Then at one third, the one third point, they shift to a sort of related topic, just like uh, internet trolling. And you can kind of see the connections there. You know, it, it's slight relevance, yeah. but it's completely... Lost the whole heckler analogy. And then the last third is following Jamie Kennedy being <laughs> really upset about the fact that nobody liked Son of the Mask. Yep. And he goes yep. around to all these reviewers oh God. talking what? about how, so why didn't you like Son of the Mask? Why did you write this bad review? Why did you troll me? It's like, because it was a bad movie. And that's basically the whole last third of the film. Him basically saying... Why? Why did you wow. write a bad review about this movie? And then being like, "Cause it was a bad movie," and then at the very end, uh, he burns some stuff and walks away with two overweight women. Two overweight Out. women
2: in lingerie for no reason.
1: And wow. and cool. that... oh, you yeah. do you? Um, it's on YouTube, <laughs> in six parts. <laughs> okay. So
2: thank you guys. Thank you, Bartek. See you next week, Bartek, and listening people. As always... Oh, yes. Thank you, Barthek. As always, listening people, remember to be kind to each other because if you do burn your bridges, your parents aren't going to move. They're just going to stay where they are and you're going to have to suffer the consequences, okay? And then you're going to give a big old lecture about, hey, we shouldn't become like the bullies and then immediately act like the bullies would by throwing them in the trash, like the bullies did earlier in the film, thus undercutting the whole entire speech you gave. But, hey...
1: That's the world. Well, you know, Ryan, I wasn't trying to be like the bullies. In fact, I came to this episode wearing a robe, but then you had that whole thing about how apparently wearing a robe isn't a joke. So, okay, sure. Now I'm just nude on the podcast. We're
2: all (laughs) nude, so... Thank you very much everyone and if you want to have a scary time look up Orlando Brown's uh YouTube channel in which he makes scary no, scary don't videos do that. and he's scary. <laughs> oh god. Enjoy. No, it's all Bye.
0: Come here let me tickle your pussy.